Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast special episode number two of our Baby Break series. Today, yeah. is that what we're calling them, Baby Breaks? That's yeah. Uh, the the first episode that I put up is called Baby Break One. Baby Break. So I'm Data, and with me is it's Joe. That's it. No one else, just us. Yeah, and I'm sorry again. We are going to continue. What we started last week with the one-star reviews of The Final Empire, and this time we're going to look at some one-star reviews of one of the more contentious books of the series, The Well of Ascension. Oh, boy. So we'll see how much we agree or do not agree with uh, what the people are saying this time. So hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. From Omega to Mars From the Council to the City of Spars from the reaches of space to the pillars of a sorry grace. There are battle warmatarians lacking in humility. Jurians are bragging about their reach and flexibility. The clutter of the city spreads to the lowliest stars. But no matter what scars you bear, whatever uniform you wear, you can fight like a Krogan, run like a leopard, but you'll never be better than Commander Shepard. So, this week we're doing The Well of Ascension, and let me start out with the numbers on this one, which I meant to do last time and left off the beginning. So, on Amazon, there are 4,800 ratings of this book, and 52 of them are one star. So, that is... So, that's a pretty small margin. It's about 1%. Yeah. Right right in the 1% area. Uh, and on That's surprising the- for me, because of... I, I feel like this book is polarizing, so I'm a little surprised that it's so such a small percentage. And I think I feel like you got to keep in mind that probably the people reading the second book are the people who really like the first book to start with. So all those people who left one star reviews in the first book probably didn't come this far. Right. That's a good point. So you got to take that into account to some uh, to some degree here. And on Goodreads, there are three hundred and twenty three thousand ratings. Wow. Of this book, and there are 2,233 one star. So that is less than it, it says zero percent here. Yeah. So yeah, and, well, and when you when you move up, there's only one percent two star and ten percent three star. There's 51 percent five star on this book. So yeah. So the major consensus is that this book is good. Yeah, people like it overall. So in case, and I guess I didn't really intro it very well at the beginning. In case you're not aware of what we're doing here, you missed last time. Dak and Jamie had a baby, and so they're taking a little time off to get their their new baby in the house life sorted out, get accustomed to what that's like. And uh, in the meantime, we're trying to find something else to entertain you guys. So I have gone to Goodreads and Amazon and pulled out some one-star reviews of this book. And we're going to read them, and we're going to discuss them, and see what we think, how right they are, how wrong they are, mostly wrong – obviously yeah also if you're not listening to these in order i mean come on you know maybe somebody new showed up and they're like i'll just oh you're right listen to this first episode they won't know who dak and jamie are if they brand new but yeah it's not just us two normally so please if you already hate us there's more people usually that are here yeah they're they're much better than us obviously yes they've got accents they're fantastic (laughs) tune into one of those episodes right Exactly. Put this one aside oh, for now. Yeah. Come back to this one. Put this one aside. 
go listen to another episode, preferably the first episode. If you've never listened to it, that's probably the best one to start with. So I guess let's move into these things. Uh, Talking. So this book, my least favorite of the trilogy, but that's like saying that one of the original Star Wars trilogy is your least favorite. Where you are like, this is still a super classic trilogy, and I like all these books. But this is, of the three, if you got to put one at the bottom, this one is the bottom one for me. I, I mean, yeah, It's definitely I, on the bottom for me, too. So I think we're, we're, yeah. we, we are on the same page on that. I'm more open to criticism on this one than on the Final Empire, probably, like when, the ones we did last week. So let's start out with, uh, we'll start with another short one. This one is from M on Goodreads, and it says, I've got a new proper title for this novel. I shouldn't have done that. A teenage drama carnage. That's is that the whole review? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I look, Vin makes some mistakes, obviously. Would I go that far? <laughs> like, would I would I say it's the Steve Urkel of the Mistborn <laughs> books? I, I like I don't know. I don't feel like that's that's what's happening here. I, I just think that there are some some certain parts of the book where it falls flat. For me, the ending really falls flat, but that's my personal opinion. But, you know, saying the whole book is a, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I guess when you get to the end and she releases Ruin, I could understand yeah, what you, I think that's how you the, feel I about it. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, and and he's right. This person is right. There's several points in the book where she does things, and you're like, oh yeah, she shouldn't have done that. Like <laughs> when she pretty much destroys Set's entire like army and almost kills him. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Anytime Zane is around, you can yeah. just say, yeah, she probably shouldn't do the things that she does. Exactly. Until, the, until her last interaction with him. She was she was pretty confused, and you know she's getting prodded by Ruin a lot in this book, even though we don't know that's what's going on. She is getting prodded by him a lot, I feel like, going back and rereading sections. It's like it's pretty clear that she's he he is pushing her to do things. So I get it. But at the same time, I feel like Vin is probably not the worst part of the book. So to put that as your summary of like the one star review, I feel like that's not really looking at the book as a whole and, and taking what's good and what's bad out of it. A, an interesting choice to be like what i call this the steve urkel of and for some reason my first thought was no clearly it's like the stefan urkel of uh, <laughs> that's a that's a very deep family matters cut yeah it is <laughs> i mean let's, let's go back in the, the 90s machine and watch some family matters oh goodness okay so let's look at another one here p dreadful on goodreads rated one star and said skim through it that's because the characters, for the most part, simply while away their time talking and there's very little action, which what was even more ridiculous was Tindwill suggesting that Vin go shopping with her to take her mind off things. Answer this, reader. If you are responsible for protecting a city, knowing that there were thousands of inhabitants who were depending upon you to save them, would you go shopping? Sigh. This book fails to live up to my expectations, though the parts about the mists acquiring a mind of their own and the part about the deepness, which reminded me of Tartarus, was good enough. <laughs> good enough <laughs> good enough for one star i guess um interesting interesting that he harps on the tin wheel and the shopping thing honestly that doesn't bother me that much the stakes at the point where she goes shopping i don't feel like the stakes are super super high at that point yet no yeah they're they're kind of sitting around waiting yeah to see what happens so now his other stuff about them just kind of hanging out talking yeah i mean i get it i agree with that 
to an extent. It's like all the political talk is a bit much for me. I mean, I don't want to watch C-SPAN. I definitely don't want to <laughs> read C-SPAN. And is this more interesting than C-SPAN? Of course it is. But I just wanted there to be more action throughout. I feel like the most action we get, besides the end when everything, when the siege, you know, finally right. finally happens, breaks, whatever you want to say, the most action we get is when Vin, like, pals around with Zane and all that stuff kind of makes you feel gross because you're like, Zane's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. So I get it. But at the same, <laughs> at the same time, I can't, I, I can't really put it all on tin wheel and shopping. I mean, come on. Girls got to shop. There is a, gotta shop. a recurring theme among a lot of the one stars that I read. People hate Tindwill in the in those reviews. Really? And yeah, they're all like they added this horrible female character. They're, they're, OK, there's some complaints in general that are very fair about the series that Brandon has acknowledged that there's not as many female characters. Uh, it, like He's like, if I went back today, I would write more women into this story. Uh, he, he He's like, I was so focused on making Vin this powerful female protagonist that I neglected to think more. But so in, in the reviews, they're like, yeah. And there's like, what, three whole women in this book? And one of them is like this idiot, like Vin calls her a thing that, that talking about Ariane. And then people are like, and Tindwill is the worst. She's like this cold. And people don't like Tindwill in these negative reviews. And I, I feel like it's a little bit harsh. Yeah, I feel like Tinwill actually may have been one of the characters I liked more in the book. And I remember when she first came onto page, Dak was very, he was very much like, oh, I don't like this woman at all. And I was like, well, you have to like think about it from her perspective. She feels like she's got a job to do and she's got to whip this dude into shape. And so she does it. So I feel like she's a good character. I, I really like her. I also like the... um the kind of unrequited love between her and Sace, because the, Tinwell to me is like the kind of person that was the only kind of person that Sace could have been with because Sace is so like, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to put myself between them. She could never want me. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not worth that kind of thing. And she's like, no, 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 just tell me you want me. And I'm, and like, we can be, and we'll be together. Like you, you just gotta, you just gotta do it. So I feel like she, her character was actually very different from a lot of the other characters we saw in the series. And I think brought a lot of good, I mean, she made Ellen into a good king. She helped make him into a good king because before she shows up, I mean, after the first book, when Ellen becomes king, I was just like, what's this guy can't be king. Mm -hmm. And if Tinwell doesn't show up and she doesn't do what she does, then that dude is not it was never gonna <laughs> he was never gonna make it. So it's true. I I think she's an important character. I think she's a really good character. So if you guys don't like Tinwell and that's and all these one star people are are harsh on her, I'm just like whoa. There people have to be complex too. You can't just have like a character that everybody likes all the time. Well, and it's interesting because like we get in the first book, Sazed is like the source of wisdom. And there's not a whole lot other. Maybe Dachshund is like the voice of reason a lot, and everyone else is just like nuts, basically. And so we get Tindwill in this one, who is also this source of a lot of wisdom, but in a very different way from Sazed. And I like that. Like these are both keepers. They're both terrorists. They're both. They both are working towards this goal, but they are very different about how they do it. And I like seeing that. We don't see all that many terrorists. I mean, these are the two that we get to know basically in these books. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Uh people. Uh okay, this one this one's interesting. So Reina says uh Interesting, Reina, it lists what shelves in Goodread a person has. You can create shelves and sort it by, like, like what kind of book this is into which of your shelves it goes. And Reina's shelves are fantasy, well, the shelves where this book is. Fantasy, that makes sense. Male authors and white authors. So, I guess those all fit. He's 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 male and white. <laughs> yeah, I, I just never have thought about putting, like, uh, associating it specifically with him being male and white. Yeah, well, it's probably easy for us to say that, not being women. I've heard a lot of complaints where it's just like there's right. not enough women writers getting a lot of attention and so on. So when you're a female, maybe it, it makes more sense to be like more sensitive to that. You don't have this male privilege that we have going. That's um, true. So what Raina says is, wow, what a mess. A love triangle and the least romantic wedding of all time. I didn't come here for this. And then there's like a <laughs> list of uh, of bullet points here. The first one is Vin and Ellen have no chemistry. And the second one is the only way I know Vin and Ellen love each other is because they periodically think it to themselves in the narrative. Uh, the third one, Vin and Ellen have a terrible relationship where they're both very bad at communicating and thinks neither of them deserve the other. Then the third, the fourth one is Zane's quote unquote God voice was never explained except to say that he was crazy. And it's not fully clear why Vin was supposed to save him. The next one is Alran and Breeze, real gross. The next one is Alran becomes a throwaway character at the end. And then I kind of forgot they got married in the middle because it's not important and is never, ever mentioned again. And the last bullet point is lots of quote unquote people will use you and leave you to Vin and Vin being like, no, I have friends and we trust each other, which was hammered home 50 different times. And then the end of the review says, also, who was the first person to eat chunks of metal for funsies? OK, maybe that that last one's valid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. But at the same time, it's like. Well, we're in the second book now, so if you're still thinking about that, we've got more important things going on. <laughs> so she really does not like this Vin and Ellen relationship. Well, or, this or, is or probably, the wedding or any of that. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the worst their relationship is, and I would say, I would say up until they get married, I, I think that's the turning point for them, because for Vin, it all happens really fast, right? She's like, oh, uh, I don't know about Ellen. Okay, I know about him now. I want to get married. Let's do it. Yeah, so once she makes up her mind, she makes up her mind. Exactly. So I feel like that's kind of the turning point for their relationship. But I can see, I mean, these people are obviously pretty broken um, in different mm -hmm. ways. So I can see why it's like not super exciting to read about. But and, and again, I don't know this user's preferences as far as books go. But I mean, it's I would say that their relationship is a lot less messed up than a relationship between a teenage girl and a mythical creature. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's just something you got to deal with, I guess. OK, so I don't know that. that OK, Vin and Ellen have a terrible relationship where they're bad at communicating and they think neither deserves the other. They are bad at communicating and they both and they do have this thing where they think neither of them deserves the other. I feel like that that struck me as very realistic of young person relationships where it's just like you're so in your own head in because neither of them has really had a relationship before so you're so in your own head about like what are they thinking what is this that and scared to talk about that kind of thing that i feel like it felt yeah. realistic to me 100 percent. and i i don't know maybe this user's not thinking about their ages which ellen i mean he's 20 something but he i feel like in the first book we kind of get the sense that he's kind of a man child like 
he doesn't he he thinks all these big thoughts and has all these big ideas but he's never had been put in a position where he had to put like his ideas into action again with people like opposing him yeah un- until this book and then we have to remember vin's still a teenager at this point so yeah it does sound like teenage love it sounds like the first girlfriend or boyfriend you have where you're like i don't know if she likes me for real i don't know if he likes me for real i'm definitely not good enough to be with this person you know they deserve somebody better than me like we i if you haven't if if, when you were a teenager and you were in a relationship and you didn't think that i i mean i'm wondering what you were thinking because i was never confident in myself (laughs) enough to be like yeah i'm good yeah, I'm good enough yeah. for her. <laughs> yeah, that 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 makes you a douche when that's the way you're like, yep, right, I'm, exactly. I'm the best. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, their relationship is uh, is you know not not super super healthy, but at the same time, does anyone have a perfect relationship? And like right. you said, I think it makes it more realistic. It's like, well, yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens in relationships. We don't value ourselves enough to think that we should be with the other person, so then we end up pushing each other away. And there's one other bullet that I would pull out because she, she's explaining that Zane's God voice was never explained except to say he was crazy. And it's not clear why Vin was supposed to save him. So Zane's God voice isn't really explained. It's kind of like at the end, it's kind of hinted at, I guess, that this was Ruin. And we made that connection when going through and after you get to the end and Ruin is released. Right. But it's not explained because it's kind of left for the next book almost to find out more about that, uh, which maybe that's – maybe that, that part's a valid complaint that this was a – big story point and then you left it open until the next book even though i feel like you i feel like there's enough information there to make the connection but to say that it's not it's fully clear why vin was supposed to quote save him he says he's like you know why i thought you were supposed to save me because you're the only one the voice didn't tell me to kill like that's that was Mm. his his whole explanation for it so i don't we couldn't get any more because he really is kind of crazy and that's why he thought that right yeah and also like in in the end, if you were going to get right down to it, she she wasn't supposed to save him. He's he just says that to her yeah. to get her to manipulate her to get her to do you know to to be with him to do what she wants or do what he wants her to do. So like in the end, she's not supposed to save him. He he had a reason for it, but she's not. I don't know that there was a whole lot to redeem in this dude. So plus, if they had gone off like into whatever you want to call it, the sunset. I mean, yeah, Ruin wouldn't have been released, so the death of the planet would have slowed, would have been, you know, would have been at the same pace. But the planet was still going to, like, the mists and everything were still going to screw up the planet a lot. So that wouldn't have worked out anyway. Well, and I'm not sure that Ruin wouldn't have been released, because when he's like, where would you go? And she's like, I want to go find the Well of Ascension up in the north. And he's like, okay, well, let's go do that then. So I think that we would have ended up on the same track where that she eventually ends up with with Ellen where they start heading north and then she realizes, Oh no, it's back there and then goes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I had forgotten about that part. You're right. So it's like, they would have probably just both been prodded by ruins. Like, no, the well of sentience not actually up there. It's down here. I'm going to agree with the all rain and breeze gross, uh, sec, uh, bit there. Cause she is 16 and breeze is like, yeah. however old he is, but is that how old she is? She's 16. I think that's right. Hold on. I'm not a look because at one point he's like, shouldn't you, be in bed or something and she's like i'm this old not like seven yeah uh, let me bring up my kindle which again. really and to her point because because you know this is just the second book that this this user's reading 
Arian really is a flesh. Arian isn't really fleshed out much at all until the third book, and even then, she's kind of just tertiary in the background. Well, yeah, and that was one of her complaints here. So Arian becomes a throwaway character by the end, which right. I don't know. I mean, she makes a pretty big difference in turning Set's army around and all yeah. that. So I don't know that I could call her throwaway exactly, but she's definitely not super well fleshed out. Right. I, like I said, not throwaway, but definitely tertiary. She's just not. Yeah. She's not one of the main characters. She's not even one of the secondary characters. She's just kind of there. Okay. So he says, sh- oh, no, I'm sorry. I, 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 I was wrong. He says, shouldn't you be in bed or something? And she says, it's only nine o'clock, Breeze. I'm 18, not 10. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I'm almost certain she was at least an adult, by our standards, anyway. By the third book, we kind—I I agree the age difference is gross and stuff. By the third book, we find out that they're really kind of extremely well-suited for each other. And even in this book, you find out that she's the one who's been working to seduce him this whole time because she kind of really admires him. So, yeah, it's—I I think it's still kind of gross, but I don't think it's, like— as gross as it would be if it was the other way around, where Breeze is like, oh, this is a yeah. hot young girl. I'm going to seduce her. Yeah, he seems almost very, and again, it's not I'm not saying that this makes it better, but he's he's very much like, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think this is a good idea. And uh, she's, she's really foisting herself on him with all the rioting and stuff. Again, not saying that that makes it better, because obviously there's... There's uh, situations where that kind of stuff happens. That's it, it, and it's still inappropriate. So, yeah. but she, but she is considered an adult. So, I, I feel like while gross, I mean, hey, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not giving amnesty towards Breeze or the person I'm about to mention. But Dick Van Dyke is like 46 years older than his wife. Hmm. People do weird stuff. Also, in fantasy worlds, it's not like that unusual to have like that sort of age gap problem uh, in in most scenarios. Yeah. Which doesn't make it less gross in other books where it's like this old dude marrying a like 15 year old girl or whatever. But um, you're right. It is common in the genre. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the one that the, I think the only one that we're supposed to feel kind of OK about in fantasy books that I've read is Harry Potter with Lupin and Tonks. She like wants to be with him. And he's like, I, I don't I don't know. We're too young. You're too young. Like you're way younger than me. And also I'm a werewolf. Like, I don't want to yeah. do that. But but I mean, she's definitely already an adult because she's out of school. She's she's been working for a few years as an or so a yeah, little, little different. I never really did feel weird about that. I mean, and even him, he's like he does say I'm too old for you. But I always felt like it was more of the fact that he's like, you know, I'm too dangerous. He's like, I'm too old and dangerous for you. But I felt like the dangerous part was the part that made the bigger difference for him where he's like, right. Well, he's like, I'm a werewolf. I don't yeah. want to like. And also, I don't know if they mention it in the books, but like and and i don't know that we ever get an answer but it's like what how would being werewolf affect children yeah like, i don't know that they ever address that but i don't know i don't think they do we we hear very little about teddy lupin just that he comes over to the potter's house all the time and that he's dating right. uh like floor and bill's daughter yeah which is weird and he's raised by his grandmother the only survivor of that family after that last book. yeah the only like everybody surviving. dies in that last yeah. book yeah narcissa uh doesn't die so I guess she survives. Well, no, but uh, OK, that's true, because she, she's her sister. I totally forgot that she's sisters with Bellatrix and Narcissa. Yeah. But it's not like you're going to let Narcissa raise your kids. So. No, certainly not. Certainly not. But yeah, she's uh, Narcissa still around. But and I guess Lucius is, too, because I don't think he technically died. No, yeah. Ne- neither of them is dead. They, they both made it to the end. Right. Because there's no justice in the world. 
do you really think that well i guess they did kill people i was about to say do you really think that they deserved uh to die but i mean i guess they did kill a lot of all people. of the voluntary death eaters probably should have been like executed or something yeah or, or at, at least, least put Azkaban. on trial well and that's the thing maybe maybe that's where they are maybe uh narcissa and and uh lucius are in, are in azkaban i feel like we and maybe maybe it's like something else i read elsewhere it might have even been in that play but i feel like because of what they do at the end where narcissa basically makes it possible to win that they get off yeah or maybe like harry says no like don't try them for these crimes like just just let them just let them move on with their lives they've learned the folly of uh yeah their ways yeah you know it only took a threat of death of their firstborn son but yeah (sighs) okay so anyway Harry Potter, <laughs> Harry Potter on. side, side. <laughs> that Harry Potter again. digression. Yep. Okay, so we're, we're doing this other tiny one. Steve on Goodreads said, Teen, a teenaged girl angst and the world's dumbest quote-unquote king. That's it. I mean, there is teenage angst. Yeah. But she is a teenager, so, you know, you, you can expect some of that. I, I think, uh, I, and I'm not as, I'm not as big of a reader of these as you, but... Are there, is there a lot of teenage angst in the Percy Jackson books or no? Uh, let me think. I feel like not, not really. There's, there's not a whole lot of like relationship drama in yeah. those books. There's a more little bit the by the end. The but yeah, it's, it's more about the, the story of what's going on mm-hmm. by the last, by the last book or two, there's clearly some like tension between the two main characters and, Actually, for the last mm-hmm. like three, for the last like three books, there's some tension there, but it, I don't think it goes to the point of angst really. Although by the end, I was like, "Come on, just it, it's clear they're going to get together. Just just do it, and can we be done with that?" So it does get to you, uh, but I, I don't think it's it's not as angsty as Vin for sure. Although I have read much more angsty uh, teen stuff before, so I. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're not if you if you're gonna read a book with a teenager in it and you're not expecting some teen angst, then I feel like <laughs> maybe you're you're kind of doing that to yourself, you know? Like you're not your expectations are not where they should be, in that sense. And then what was the other point? Dumbest king. The world's dumbest king. Yeah. I mean, look, I we talked about this. He, <laughs> I mean, I was worried about him when at the at the end of the first book. But then Tinwell comes in, and I really feel like things change. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you have to remember this guy's starting from scratch. He's starting from zero. Like he he knows about the law, but he's starting from zero in in terms of like what do I do when people oppose me? Because he's mm-hmm. basically because basically he sets himself up to fail. He's like, if I'm ever opposed by people, they can take me out of power. Like that's. That's a bad way to go because there's always going to be people that disagree with you, always. And eventually, that side's going to be large enough that they're going to be able to oppose you and and depose you if if that's the way you build into the system. So uh, this guy obviously had noble intentions, but didn't use uh didn't didn't have like the king knowledge to know like hey this isn't going to work. If we're going to do this, we're going to have to do it a certain way. So well, and that's because nobody's really used another political system for a thousand years. So. It's yeah, exactly. all theoretical until you tried it. Right. It's like it's the same kind of people that say, like, well, communism looks great on paper. Well, yeah, of <laughs> course it does. But does it ever actually work that way? No, it doesn't. Uh, I, I think we would have agreed at the beginning of the book after the ending of the first book. Like, OK, this is an idiot. He, why is he king? But that kind of just makes 
his story arc in this book all the better because you see him grow and become kind of worthy right. of the place that he eventually holds. Yeah, for sure. Cause if, because if he hadn't changed, then really what would his story have been mm-hmm. like husband to Vin guy who is King, who's good at being King, I guess. Right. Like that's uh, really interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's no, like, yeah, I get it. You're frustrated cause he's dumb, but like he's frustrated that he's dumb. Like he does, he does several dumbs in the book and he's like, gosh, why can't I get this right? Okay. So here's one of the ones, I think this may be the only one I actually took where the, the tin will hate comes up, but Ben on Goodreads said, this book was so boring. They introduced this wise woman character who is the dumbest character ever. And they pair her with Sazed, who is already insufferable as it is. I think Sanderson is good at writing stories, but he needs to get better at writing characters. It seems like he doesn't have any plan with any of the characters. He just goes like, let me make this chosen one character be a person with a mental illness and let's see where it gets me. Come on, man. You can do better. Hmm. That's that's a very interesting take. I would argue that Sazed is probably one of the more most interesting characters, in my opinion. Yeah, we course, love Sazed. I don't, yeah. So the Sazed is insufferable part immediately makes me like, I don't yeah. like you. Here at the Sanderlanch podcast, we like Sazed. <laughs> Our official position is Sazed yeah. is cool. We are pro-Sazed. Uh, and, of course, we also have the hindsight of the third book. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like Tinwell is not that bad. And her relationship with Sace, I think, is probably the best part about her at the end. And also, like, people people have problems. Like, you can't just say, oh, look, you've made the chosen one somebody with a mental illness. Like, that's kind of fucked up, honestly, <laughs> to say that. Like, yeah. to say, why would you do that? And I, and I find it very funny because I feel like that is Sanderson's thing, is, is writing character development and relationships. And he's like... He's pretty good, but he's not good with characters. I'm just like, what? Are you, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, the whole book is about the characters. Like the world, especially in the third book, like the world ending is like it's this thing that keeps coming in the background. Yeah. But the whole book is is dialogue between the characters about how to how to like be better, how to work better together, how to how to survive, how to do like how to do life uh in these in these circumstances and also how to be um friends with one another how to be good husband and wife how to communicate well like that's all character stuff and i feel like the second book's chock full of it too you've got ellen trying to become a king you've got vin trying to figure out who she is how she feels about herself what her relationship is like you've got sazed who's a eunuch who's like i'm not i can't be with a woman i literally can't be physically with a woman so why would i like do this and then you've got Tinwell who's like that's not what I'm not looking for that I'm looking for the bob or whatever you like you know like she's she's uh the whole thing is character development so I feel like uh his assessment is just way off yeah it's true that like the third book is always like the world's ending but we don't know how to deal with that so we have to deal with what we can deal with and then at the end the world ending part kind of works itself out through what they've been doing but yeah, uh, they never have a plan. Maybe you could say towards the end, Vin comes up with a kind of a plan. But even yeah. she never has really her plan is to go and try to get ruined to put her in so much danger. She can draw on the mists and maybe that will do something. So and she then never, it, did. It, it did almost n- pure luck. It, if it wasn't for for Marsh right. being able to get out for a moment and do something. But yeah, they never really have a solid plan for trying to save the world. That's just like, yeah, we'll try to do something about that, I guess. 
it really is more focused on characters. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll try to save the planet at some point, maybe, if we can. <laughs> I'm not sure how to do it, though. Yeah, no clue how. And also, like, you know, we're going to have to communicate with each other, but we're not going to be able to say it out loud. So mm-hmm. uh, let's let's try to do that the best we can. Okay, let's see. This one from Eric says, I'm bailing on this one. I got most of the way through it. The first volume of the trilogy showed a lot of promise, but the second has devoted has devolved so entirely into repetitive melodrama and bad romance writing without the sex in parentheses that I can't take it anymore. The character of in has been jumping up and down on my last nerve for hundreds of pages. Now I'm such a terrible person because I killed people in a war using my superpowers. I'm not good enough for Ellen. I'm going to go in a corner and wallow in self pity for 200 pages. You know, if this thing had been condensed a lot, it would have been the exact sort of thing I would have loved to read when I was 13 and reading like Edgar Rice Burroughs and Terry Brooks. But now I really don't have time for this stuff. They say Sanderson's new series is a lot better. Frankly, it would have to be a lot, lot better. It's probably the Stormlight Archive he's talking about. But... Wow. This guy. Uh... <laughs> Look, man, right off the bat, I'm going to say if you if you feel like characters that have a problem with murdering people is a bad <laughs> thing. Like, dude, murdering people's not good. It's not good. In <laughs> By war. the way, in case you weren't aware. Yeah. In, the, here, I'm a, I know the other two aren't here, but I'm taking a hard stance on this. Murdering people is bad. <laughs> That's the new official stance. Yeah, of, it's the official stance of, of the Santa Lynch podcast. podcast. <laughs> well, I'll get I'll get a I'll get confirmation from Jamie and Dak later. But yeah, that murdering okay people. That, yeah. yeah, but murdering people, I'm going to say is bad. Right uh, there, there's the next T-shirt right there. Murdering people, <laughs> people is, is bad. bad. Official yes. stance, perfect. <laughs> it's the official stance at the Santa Lynch podcast that murdering people is bad. Yes, it is bad. Even when you have to do it for war, because your country is going to be taken over. Even when it's your your uh, boyfriend's ex girlfriend and she's trying to kill you. Like murdering people is still not that great uh, in those circumstances. So, yeah, if she has some inner turmoil because she's having to kill people, I would call that realistic growth. Like, she's not a sociopath because she has feelings about how she's killing people. Like, that's completely, completely good that she feels that way. That tells us that she's not a crazy, insane sociopath who doesn't care about getting anything. In fact, that makes her, and and we get this in secret history, but that makes her better than Kelsier because Kelsier killed a lot of people. And I don't think he cared that much about the people he killed. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very, that's a very uh, distinguishing moment between the two of them. Cause we never saw no matter how many people he killed Kelsier feel bad about it. Right. And like, also, we see the same thing in book three with Ellen. Of course, this user didn't read that, I'm assuming. Right. But it's like Ellen, it, it goes to show like Vin and Ellen, they're good people. They don't want to kill people. They're having to do it. And they're like, I don't I don't know how I feel about this, especially after we find out that Coloss are people and Ellen's like having to murder so many of them. It's just like, geez. Well, and to force them to like. When they first find out, he's still got that army, and he's like, yeah. and it, it, we're like, is it right to, like, force these people to, like, to control them like that? And then, eventually, like, he loses control. He never really had it in the first place. Yeah. So, and then he has to kill a whole lot of them. Right. So, sorry, man. I, you're way off base here. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because if you think it's dumb or a snooze fest to have people talk about their relationships or talk about how they're sad about killing people, then... Uh, then uh, I don't know what you want, man. Again, this goes back to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw Harry Potter back again because I love drawing off of that well. 
Harry <laughs> Harry doesn't want to kill anyone. He doesn't even really want to kill Voldemort. There are moments when he's mad and he's angry and he wants somebody to pay or for justice to be served. But at the end of the book, he doesn't shoot a killing curse at Voldemort. Nope. He he shoots Expelliarmus at him. All he wanted to do was disarm Voldemort at the end of the day. And that ends up killing him because of the rebound or whatever, the magic that, that's involved there. But that's 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 Harry. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. And it's the same with uh, it's the same with these people. Like they're good people. She's having to murder people. She doesn't want to. Her master trained her to murder people because that's what he did. And she's having to do it because it's murder or be murdered. But it's definitely not bad that she she's thinking about these things. Also, I got to throw in the the snootiness of being like, yeah, maybe this is the kind of thing I would like when I was 13 or reading like Edgar Rice Burroughs and Terry Brooks. And I'm like, OK, just that that's an asshole take. Where it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's like, dude, what have you written? Have you written a book better than Terry Brooks or Edgar Rice Burroughs? Like, I'm going to look down my nose at Edgar Rice Burroughs and his fucking John Carter of Mars or Tarzan or yeah, all that, sh- all, the, all the shit that's super famous. Classics of literature made into movies. Come on, man. Don't be like that. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's- I have I have opinions and I don't like some books, but I'm not going to be like, <laughs> Maybe I would have liked this when I was 10. <laughs> oh, man. Just like looking down my nose on all of you people. Yeah. What have you written, sir? Some fan fiction? It tur- turns out that uh, Eric, uh, is it Eric? Yeah, Eric here, he's a really famous author, actually. So. Oh, yeah? I don't, I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea who Eric is. Yeah, I know. It's true. This man has no dick. Well, that's what I heard. <laughs> That's what I heard. That poor actor. It's probably my. I know it's probably my favorite line from that from that movie though. Well, that's what I heard. Yeah, as he's being like shoved back, he's like, "What? That's what I, I'm just saying." It's like, what 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 what's the thing that you say in in videos so that you can't be sued? It's like supposedly yeah. or purportedly or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh look, it's just hearsay here. I mean, that's what I heard. <laughs> oh man. Uh, okay, let's do this. This is kind of a long one, but we'll do we'll do this one here. Riff. <laughs> and by the way, we were talking about shelves earlier. This person shelved this book under a shelf called Genre and then under a shelf mm-hmm. called Awfulness. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Riff uh, was serious about not liking this one, as we will see momentarily. The Wall of Ascension is the second book in Sanderson's sprawling Mistborn series, continuing the story of magic user Vin and her quest to save her people and rid her world of a mysterious, sinister force known as the Deepness. The Sounds first good book, so far. Uh, I, I think that's a little like grandiose way of putting it, but OK. Um, sure. The first book, The Final Empire, was a was as flawed as it was impressive. But I have to be completely frank. In my opinion, The Well of Ascension is a terrible novel that has left me disappointed to the point of anger. In my review of the previous book, I noted that although the characters seem superficial and burdened with some terrible inner monologue, it was mitigated to some extent by Sanderson's requisite rendition of action, the interesting world he'd conceived, and a plot that was dynamic and at times quite thrilling. In The Well of Ascension, however, all of these qualities are muted. The action is less frequent and less interesting. The plot is stagnant and tedious, and the story itself, well, it's near terrible. One expected this to be a book, and when he says one expected, I assume he's like I expected. But I guess sure. Riff could be a female name. I don't. I don't know who. Which I will say Riff. Right. One expected this to be a book of high adventure, of a dynamic hero or heroine? Question mark. Not. Not. Wasn't sure whether it was the hero or heroine. Okay. Uh, quest 
finally made the most of Sanderson's world, which was so rich with promise. What you get, for the most part, is a 400-page siege of a city where nothing actually happened for 350 pages, a laugh-out-loud, cliched antagonist, kill them all, said God, and an uninspired, anachronistic political discussion. discussions. If this were the extent of it, I'd have given the book two stars, but the conclusion to the book is so offensive to the reader that it has made me resent reading this book at all. Sanderson has attempted to add an epic twist to the end of the tale, which is a respectable convention in literature, but is one of one that is insulting, nonsensical, and hugely disappointing. Some stories might end in triumph, some in tragedy, but this book ends with a slap in the face for whatever you've invested into this world and these characters. It is egregious and breaks all good faith. I had planned to at least read the third book in the series, but this was the final straw. I doubt I'll ever pick up a Brandon Sanderson book again. Wow. Now, what I will say about this guy is I feel like he he really thought out his response when he yeah. wrote this review. And it does sound like he tried to give the book a chance. He apparently has some faults with the first book, but he still really enjoyed it. So I would say that a lot of the things he said I actually agree with to a, to an extent, for sure. I was shocked at the ending and a little and 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 upset with it as as people who listen to that episode will remember. But I feel like uh, <laughs> to say it's egregious and that the story is terrible, uh, I don't I don't agree with that part. The story is not terrible. Is it the kind of story I wanted to read after reading the first book? No, but it doesn't mean that it's terrible. He certainly constructed the story, in my opinion, well. The con- the construction of it is done well. The um the character development is done well. So a lot of there's a lot of good things about the Well of Ascension. So if you're basing you're you're saying that the story is terrible simply based on the actual events that occur. Maybe there's some merit to that, but there's so much more going on in the book that's interesting. I feel like it's a little, a little over the top to say that it's terrible. I'm I'm gonna agree that there are that this person makes some good points, and some of them are just more over the top than I think are fair. Where it's just like, yeah, this is all terrible. The the, the everyone's inner monologues were horrible and. The the action was less interesting. I don't know. She exploded some dude's head. There was some pretty interesting yeah. action in there. I I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's pretty different. May, maybe overall, there was definitely less like fight scenes through most of the book. Although there's the one giant like war scene at the end, which maybe kind of makes up for it, or towards the end. But I can agree. Maybe the fight scenes are less frequent. Maybe less interesting. That's kind of a matter of opinion, right? Whether this fight is more interesting than than this other fight. So fine. The the plot was felt stagnant in the middle. I think we kind of all all agree with that that we felt it dragged in the middle. And so even saying that like it's a 400 page siege where nothing happens for 350 pages, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But okay, I, I get what you're going for there, and I'm not completely disagreeing. I don't agree with the the hate on the twist. Because I feel that in all the books I've read, this twist is one that was really that was written so well because it's really well foreshadowed, but in ways that you don't expect it, which is which is like that's the perfect twist is what I'm describing, where it's like all the clues were there, but you never expect the twist when you get to it. And that is what I feel like was done in this book. And. It's, it, it's once again a little snooty to be like, so he tries for this twist, which a twist is a respectable convention in literature, but this one is <laughs> insulting. And I'm like, oh, OK, so 
thanks for letting us know that the the twist is a respectable literary convention. I appreciate yeah. that. But I, I feel, feel like, like that that is crux, really well done here. Yeah, and I feel like the crux of a lot of fantasy is some kind of twist. Here, here I go. I'm going to draw from that Harry Potter. I was about to say, Harry Potter's got to be coming back here. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The first book. Man, what a twist. You don't expect it to be Quirrell at the end. No, I didn't expect it to be Quirrell. And once again, there, there's some foreshadowing there. Yeah, for sure. Pretty the, um, pretty well done. Yeah. But yeah, no, I didn't expect it to be Quirrell. And, but, and I, yeah, I mean, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the biggest uh, foreshadowing – in the in the book series i feel which i didn't discover until years after the last book had come out was in the first book the centaurs say that Ferenz helping harry is going against the stars and harry says i guess they saw voldemort killing me and they're in the forest they're in the forest to face with voldemort and in the seventh book he's potentially for all intents and purposes killed in the forest by voldemort so that's a huge huge foreshadowing from 1993 or four, whenever that first book came out to 2007. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. crazy. It's crazy. So I feel like that's the crux of a lot of fantasy is, is twists. I I feel like one of the things that really helps the, the, the twist in the first Harry Potter book is that the entire book, because it's written for a a very young audience, right? So it's written, it's written in a very straightforward way. And so, when you get to the it's like it's built up where you're supposed to think it's Snape and they're very confident about who they think the bad guy is. And we've not been given any reason to kind of doubt their confidence because the whole story is told very straight in a very straightforward way. And right. then you get there and it's like, oh, it's Quirrell. I, it makes sense. But you don't expect it because there hasn't been any other indication that there's going to be that, that they're playing yeah. with you. They're going to trick you. Yeah. And in the and in the chapter where it is him, I do you can tell that it's written for kids so that they wouldn't be confused because Quirrell explains like yep. everything. He just Harry's comes like, straight what out. What about this? Quirrell's like, oh, it was this. But what about this? Like, yeah, it's 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 definitely completely straightforward about the way it delivers the surprise at the end. But at the same time, it's still a twist that I think a lot of first time readers didn't see didn't yeah. see coming in it. And so I feel like that's. And, and I think what you said is is absolutely correct. It's this twist is done in such a way that's so different from the way we've seen twists in other books because it's like it's it's very heavily foreshadowed because you keep you have these epigraphs and you have them reading the the book or the etching in the book and they're different. And it's like if you if you had thought about it, if you had pieced it together, I mean that's really the whole reason I started writing down the epigraphs in the third book because I'm like. I have to know – I have to have this stuff in front of me to make sure that I'm not falling into – Fool me twice, won't get yeah. fooled again. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> thankfully, Elantris doesn't have epigraphs, so I don't have to write them out. But oh. um, but yeah, I mean – some other way. 100%. This guy, like, like we said, well thought out. I just don't think – I think we both agree he's a little over the top with some of his criticisms, and uh, I, don't, I don't know that it's a, a super fair review. All right. Let's do one more of these. Marv says it failed me in every way, extremely underwhelming compared to the first book, which is a masterpiece, way less interesting villains, no new discoveries slash expanse of the magic system, nothing added to the world or lore, politics were pointless and solved themselves. Out of three new characters, only Zane was interesting. The other two were irritating and dull. The atmosphere wasn't intense or dystopian anymore, making it much weaker. The magic system no longer matters as there are now spirits and deities. 
<laughs> I like how he says no um, no additions to the magic system. Like, we talking about Duralumin's a huge deal in this book. Huge well, and, deal. And Ferrochemy gets way expanded on. Like, it was there oh, before, yeah. but we didn't know anything about it. Yeah, exactly. So, so I feel like we added a whole lot to the lore and yeah. stuff in this book. Right. And and it's funny because it's like one book. They All the books focus on Allomancy, but it's like first book focus more on Allomancy, second book focus more on Ferrochemy, and then the third book you really get into like the hemallergy stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel like he did a good job devoting a, a decent amount of time to each of the magic systems in each book so that it slowly unfurls for you. You're not being overwhelmed with information. You're getting the information when you need it. Now, as far as the political discourse and some of the other things he said in there, like, yeah, man, hey, I, I get it. If you don't like political discourse, if you're not into, like, thrillers of, like, drama of, pol- of political type stuff, totally get it. I'm not a West Wing fan myself, you know? <laughs> it's not something that I'm interested in. Tried it, because you know, a lot of my friends like it, and they lo- watch it, and they love it. I'm, do- I'm not into it. So I get it. But come on, man. It, it sounds like you weren't even paying that much attention yeah, with some right. of the stuff you were saying. I'm trying to I'm trying to decide if I agree with the politics were pointless and sorted themselves out. And to some extent, I get where I get where that's coming from, because we have all these all this political wrangling where Ellen's trying to convince the people and then he's trying to get his throne back. And then at the end, Vin's just like, OK, no, scroll, you guys, Ellen's going to be emperor. So from that perspective, I get what you're saying. It's like the politics in the end didn't matter because Vin just came in and but that's not sorted themselves out. That is Vin being her, her normal Vin self and being like, OK, Ellen's not here. I'm not dealing with this shit. I'm going to cut through all of I don't I don't have the patience for this. So we're going to cut through all that stuff. Ellen is in charge or I kill you. So, yeah, I I don't feel like that's solving itself. I feel like that is our character doing something that is very in character for her to do. So I I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of two minds on that part of it. But yeah, what I will say is the magic system no longer matters as there are now spirits and deities. If you read the third book. It's it's it becomes clear that the magic systems are intimately intertwined with these spirits and deities and are actually how the magic works is relevant to what is going on. True. And without Alamancy, they could not have won because they used Alamancy to burn yep. Addy's body. So, yeah, 100 percent. We'll say also um, the reviewer before last anyone who now now let me be fair, because I agree with this part of it. There is less action, but anybody yeah. who says the action was not as good as the first book, I really have to disagree with. When you see, when you read about a woman jumping over a wall, landing on a horse, destroying that horse with like a superpower, <laughs> like flipping around, saving her friends, busting a dude's head open, like exploding his head, when all these cinematic moments, because that was the thing that I think made the action parts good in the second book. Everything seemed more cinematic than the first book. And there are cinematic moments in the first book for sure. But everything, every piece of action, I feel like in the second book was, was pretty cinematic. Her, her insane, like taking out all of sets, men destroying that building, like very, very action oriented in those scenes. So I feel like that's a, that was an unfair assessment because man, some of that stuff's awesome. I forgot to mention when we were on now that we're talking about previous reviews, I forgot to mention the one guy who was like the uh, talked about. Oh, let me pull up the quote so I can say it exactly. But so it said that it was repetitive melodrama and bad romance writing in parentheses without the sex. 
And I was like, so do you feel like the bad romance writing is okay if you did throw some sex in there? Or, like, what are, <laughs> what are you trying to say with that? I'm not sure I'm following you. Yeah, so if the dialogue was really bad in the romance, like, like if the dialogue was, like, hand me your cock, then <laughs> I, he'd be okay because it's bad writing, but they're going to have sex. I think that's what he's getting at. Okay. Like, he, he maybe he likes trashy romance novels, like, uh, you know, where it talks about the vicar, uh, taking off his robe or whatever in that Friends episode, you know, Rachel's super into the trashy romance novel. So, and Joey says it's porn. So I guess if he he wants book porn, book <laughs> porn's okay. Like bad writing's okay if there's book porn. But you also reminded me of something, and I'm gonna say very very minor spoiler for uh, a later book of the Wheel of Time. So if you don't want minor spoilers for Wheel of Time, cover your ears for the next like 30 seconds. This is data from the future, or well, still the past for you listening to this, but the future in comparison to what you've just been listening to, unless you're somehow listening to this before I recorded it, which would be really impressive. Anyway, if you actually want to get past all of the spoilers for Wheel of Time, which, like I said, is very minor spoilers for the last book of the series, you want to skip forward to the 54 minutes and 50 second mark of this podcast. But we, talk, we, we you reminded me with the horse killing thing. We talked about at some point. It was like, does Brandon just hate horses? Like he's always doing mean things <laughs> to horses. And it's when I was reading the Wheel of Time, I was just like, Brandon does hate horses because there is there's a horse that you meet in the very first book of the series, and it's like this. They're talking about like it's this dumpy like field horse basically, but she puts this incredible like effort into keeping this one character safe. And running with these other horses who are much, you know, sturdier and whatever horses than her. And this horse reappears throughout the entire series just periodically when somebody like somebody's like, we need a calm horse because this person's not good at horseback riding. They're like, oh, well, we'll bring out this horse from the first book and you can ride her. And so then in the last book, one of the ones that Brandon wrote, he kills the horse that has been around the whole series. <laughs> and I was like, what do you have against horses, Brandon? Why are you being a jerk? But then it turns out that if, if, if you read like the encyclopedia or whatever of the Wheel of Time that the that Robert Jordan's wife slash editor came out with based on his notes and stuff after the series was done, uh, it specifically says in there that the horse somehow survived. So it's like mm, okay. we, can't let, we can't let Brandon get away with his horse hate. We have to fix yeah. that. The horse killing can't continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is weird. <laughs> may want to throw some time codes in there yeah probably but anyway yeah horse hate bad <laughs> why you gotta hate horses it's, it's just they're cool i i gotta I, I one of the one of the reviews on amazon and i won't read the whole thing but just the the title stuck out to me it's it says humiliation conga twice as depressing as book one unfinishable i i don't know what a humiliation conga <laughs> is but i i like it I like, the, I like it i'm gonna use that Humiliation conga. I mean, I, I mean, I. This is just one of those things. Like, I need context. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, are you humiliated from reading the book? Should Brandon be humiliated for writing the book? Are the characters humiliated in the book? Like, what? What are we? What are we talking about? <laughs> oh man, um, I gotta find a place to use humiliation conga in life. That's all there is to it. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, next time, next time, all the characters get their ass whooped in D&D &D, and just be like, oh man, humiliation conga, am I right? <laughs> uh, 
uh, I'm still working on how to play my new character because I'm, I'm gonna. I, I need. I need yeah. to increase the comedy of the situation where he's he's evil, and I'm gonna try to have him do evil things, but then just like like the worst actor ever when people call him, it's like what? No, that's that. That clearly was the right thing to do. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. What do you What do you mean? <laughs> so I gotta, like I, gotta, the, I gotta work on that. You're like the cockroach guy from Men in Black. You're just like walking around being like. Oh, let me sugar. have some of the yeah, sugar, water <laughs> in water. <laughs> it's like rats in water. Give it to me. <laughs> okay, let's. We got two reviews that we need to do. Five star reviews, obviously. So uh, get ready. The first one is from Andre, yep. who's, who's recently sent us. Uh, you know, uh, you, you may remember Andre from Brazil recently with the art and the emails that he sent us, and he says, "Awesome friends, reading some awesome books." Is it difficult to find a podcast? Oh, I'm sorry. It is difficult to find a podcast so constantly good and fun as this one. Host guy, funny guy, and then in parentheses, better than random guy, won't you say? Volcano guy and other girl represent the essence of the Sanderlanch. It is awesome to see new people introduced to this awesome fantasy universe and to hear their thoughts and reactions to the most iconic moments. Data does an awesome job. He's a longtime Sanderson fan and manages to host the episodes without giving anything away. And at the same time, listens to some crazy theories while keeping a quote unquote straight face. I don't have anything negative to say about them. They make the weeks start way better, making me laugh a lot. Wasing the liking of you. Oh, man. Awesome. Uh, awesome review. Uh, Andre, you, my friend, are a rioter. That uh, that was a great, great review. And then we have. Yeah, I, Andre, Andre's review is awesome. Thank you, Andre from Brazil. It's from Amazon, or Apple Podcast Brazil, Amazon Brazil. No. The next one we have is actually from back in June, but somehow uh, my my thing missed it. It's uh, it must be one of the because I only I, I get the outside U.S. Uh, reviews from this other program, and so this other program must have missed this particular one when it was cold gotcha. for me. So it is from J O M O twenty four, and it says best podcast ever. Looking for an awesome podcast? Well, good news, everyone. Whether you're looking for a new series to sink your teeth into, you've already been bitten by the Cosmere bug, or if it's simply Valentine's Day and you've forgotten to get a girlfriend again, this is the podcast for you. Wow. Uh, I thought that was going for, uh, that was going to go, if you haven't gotten your girlfriend anything, give her this. But no, okay, this is. uh, No, it's like, if you don't have one, (laughs) if you're a single bro, (laughs) apparently this is the podcast for you. Being a self-professed Cosmere knot, I have listened to many such podcasts, and I can honestly say that this is the best one out there. You can only read a book for the first time once, but this podcast allows me to reignite those feelings of excitement and suspense of going through the Cosmere journey all over again. And it is about the journey, not the destination. The camaraderie of the hosts really feels genuine, and their witty banter throughout makes listening to each episode a true pleasure. Data, being the only one to have read the Cosmere before, does a stupendous job of guiding his co-hosts through the series, being careful not to spoil anything, while simultaneously joining in on the fun of theory crafting. At the end of each episode, Dak, Joe, and Jamie give their predictions, predigments, for where they're headed next, and I'm not sure which I enjoy more, when they astutely predict what is coming, or when they are famously off, re-volcanoes. No, Dak, you are not, never going to live that down. This podcast has everything from laughs to earnest discussion of characters you love to love and characters you love to hate, all peppered with hilarious asides, including original rap and a story of a father and son possum hunting team just trying to get by. Besides... Besides this, the podcast also has a lively Discord channel that's allowed me to gush with others over the contents of the episodes, as well as dive into unlocking some of the deep mysteries of the Cosmere. 
I would recommend the series and this podcast to everyone and anyone. Five stars. Wow, another amazing review. Thank you so much. That was awesome. You, my friend, are a seer. Ooh, Adium, fancy. Yep, fancy schmancy. Okay. Those are those two. So, for next week, I'm going to plan that we will do the third book, and then we'll find something new and different to do for the uh, the fourth week of uh, our co-host absence. But the first episode, last the one we recorded last week, will have come out before uh, we record the next episode. So we'll be able to get some feedback on, do people like this? Are there other ideas that people have? So if something else comes out between now and then that sounds way better to me, then maybe we'll do that instead. So we're yeah, going to play, sure. play it by ear a little bit. Other than that, if you would like to send us some emails, you can leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts like these other folks did. But if you'd like to send us some emails, you can find us at thesanderlanch at gmail.com. That is with an E at the end, like the word avalanche. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all the sorts of places that people are. I like I, I, I put an announcement up on Twitter about what we're going to be doing. Like, hey, there's something different happening than what we originally scheduled for next week. And one of the replies was sneaking in the entire way of Kings, a bold move. Let's see if it pays off. Oh no. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're just going to read like one of the biggest books and do it in one week. Why not? Just for lols. That would be weird. (laughs) Yeah. We'd have to discuss the whole book. (laughs) Yeah. What what kind of world would that be? I know. Like, uh, how long do we go? Can we have like five hours? (laughs) Oh man. That'd be, that'd be intense. So Yeah. We will see you for whatever ends up happening um, <laughs> on the next couple of episodes uh, before we hopefully get back into Elantris with Elantris chapters 7, 8, and 9 when we get back to the book. So thanks, everyone, yeah. for listening. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, our, our little diversion uh, from the norm here and buzzing to the time of next, everyone. Music by Miracle Sound. Damn it. Yep, that's a thing. <laughs> Music by Miracle of Sound. Oh, and I can actually say this week. We are using the song Commander Shepard based on uh, Mass Effect. I couldn't remember the name of that game for a minute. And we're doing it simply because I like the song and yep. it didn't seem like the kind of song that would ever fit into any of the books that we're going to read. So, yeah, yep. we both like the song. It's a good one. Hope you guys enjoy it, too. So here it is. Cut to the risk. OK, let me let me stop. Quick fight like a Krogan, run like a leopard, but you never Never be better than Commander Shepard. Assuming control. Oh. This this review says okay hold on we're gonna no no I'm not I'm not gonna read that because it doesn't make any sense but it says I really enjoyed the first three books in this series this was just not good <laughs> okay I, I I don't know what that <laughs> it sounds like they're reading a different series yep that's what it sounds like all right first three books were great what if you <laughs> what if they had read the third one before the second one by accident and they thought That'd it was be the second one Although I, I feel like they would probably be confused. It says he tried to continue a story with the most boring characters from the first books, and it just did not work. I couldn't make it from through the, the first, first book. books. 
I couldn't make it through the fourth book. What is he talking about? I don't know what this person is talking about. <laughs> oh my gosh. I uh, mean, I almost the, wish you could use that, but I mean, it makes no sense. No, it makes no sense. So yeah, okay. I might throw that in there when we get if we need a funny one and we're not getting a funny one to talk about. I realized when I was editing this last one, I'm like we make way less Futurama references when Dax's not here. Uh, okay. Second. Okay. No, I was saying I second that second. Oh, I thought you said just a second. Okay. Like Scruffy, the janitor. No, I don't think I'm going to read this one, on, but I'll read it for you because it's this review says, why is this even in here? And then it says, love this series until nudity was mentioned in a sexual manner. I'm a Christian, and that's where I draw my line. What? Wait, when is nudity mentioned? When they have sex? Because they're married? I guess, yes. After they get married, when they have sex. That's but, the only time that I can think of it. But that's when you're supposed to do that. Yeah. I, hey, I don't know, man. That's weird. 